of all places. Pam read the scripture from Psalm describing the psalmist who is begging to be part of a kingdom of God, sitting outside the gates. We're going to talk about the temple of God a bit this morning. This morning as we continue our series, Entering the Passion of Jesus, with the invitation to place ourselves in scenes from Jesus last week on earth, we're observers of the few places in Scripture where various translations describe Jesus as being angry. We reflect this morning just a tidbit of Bible study, not about the psalm verse, but about this story about Jesus turning tables over. It's one of the very few stories, friends, that occurs in all four gospel versions of Jesus' life. Now we know that the writers of Matthew and Luke used Mark's story and then adjusted it to fit their audience. So it makes sense that all three of these, Mark and Matthew and Luke, have this occur in Holy Week. Because they are known as the synoptic gospels. They sort of talked with each other in writing their stories. So they had this story of Jesus occur in the temple entrance during Passover week. John, although, has a story after Jesus left the wedding in Canaan. But whichever gospel we turn to, the guts of this story are the same. It's our job to figure out what this story means for us. Indeed, isn't that always the challenge? And I would add the reward of reading and studying Scripture. That aha moment when something registers with us and we feel as if the words are jumping off the pages and speaking to us. It certainly doesn't occur every time I read Scripture. Not even frequently. But when it does, it is a wow moment. It's powerful. And for me, my chances of having those ahas or wows are when I really dig into the Scripture and look to find those details. Uh, Pam and I think, Deb, were you there when Dr. D was at seminary? Uh, Jan, I don't think you were there when Dr. Lisa Davis was at seminary. Boy, she is tough. But we're glad she's tough. But I tell you, she always encouraged us to look for the, the people who were unnamed or the voices that were missing or the details of the stories. And some folks say the devil's in the details, but I share with my group um, Tuesday night, for me, as it relates to Scripture, the message of God yeah. is in the details. And this story about Jesus turning tables over is no different. So let's take a quick poll. How many of you have heard about this story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple? A lot of you. How many of you have heard that this story was about Jesus being angry at the money changers? Equally. Now let's see if y'all are really going to be honest. I know how many of you have heard the story. How many of you have used this story as a crutch to support you when you become angry as in, hey, even Jesus got ticked off? <laughs> A few honest people. My mom's one of those. All right. That's probably, uh, even Jesus got ticked up. She's yelling at me. But friends, before we begin letting our imaginations place us as part of this story, let's pack some things for the travel. Let's just put a few things in our theological suitcase. Because if we start our journey to the temple with no preparations, we'll likely leave those sacred stories just as empty as we arrived to them. For some of us, when we think of the temple, we picture a temple like Temple Adath Israel, where we almost went to share worship space when, before we moved here, and where my amazing colleague Rabbi David ministers. 
We might think of it as temple like coming to church. But in, put in context, the temple of the ancient community was a lively place. Now, not in terms of Pentecostal, Pam Kenny, <laughs> but it was lively in terms of a lot of actions as you approached. And this scene was exponentially lively when hundreds of thousands were making the annual pilgrimage to the Passover. The scene would look something like this. There would be the higher levels of society, including the high priests who they had the best seats in the most sacred part of the temple. Now there were folks who weren't priests, but they were sort of in with the priests. They were close. So they had an inside connection. Maybe it's like the people being ordained online. You think they could get close? Yeah. Then they had a people that had a lot of money. And then there were people who were really poor. There were Jews from various social, political, and religious status. There were Gentiles, non-Jews who couldn't actually get into the temple, but they could get in the courtyard. So inside the gate, but with a wall still separating the Gentiles from the purest spots of worship. That was reserved for Jews only. And there were vendors selling all kinds of things, particularly selling animals for sacrifices. Now then, I know we don't like to think of that. But the ancient community was different. And indeed, sacrificing animals was part of their culture. But again, let's put that even in context. See, animals was, they were very, very valuable. Livestock was valuable in the ancient community. And their action of sacrificing animals was not about killing animals, but rather it was seen as so valuable that they were willing to give up to God what was most valuable to them and what they depended on for their life. That's the heart of being sacrificial. Now then, among the carnival-type, vendor-filled atmosphere, we know there were money changers. And since the money changers are usually, even by your show of hands, usually the ones most talked about, let's just look at them a bit closer. Now in ancient times in Jerusalem, pilgrims visiting the Jewish temple on Jewish holy days would exchange some of their money from standard Greek or Roman currency for Jewish or Tyrian money. The latter two being the only money that was accepted for payment in the temple. So once that money was exchanged, the temple money could be used to purchase a sacrificial animal for the following day's events. Now, if you had a lot of money to exchange, you could purchase a lamb. If you were poor, you settled for a dove. And if you're really poor, you got a pigeon. Y'all with me in this scene thus far? Picturing it? Picture something like court days and Mount Sterling on steroids. <laughs> Only the crowds were focused on getting to the temple for worship and giving sacrifices to demonstrate that, they, yes, they did believe in a lot of gods. All the ancient community believed in a lot of gods, little g. But what set the Hebrew people apart, the Jewish people apart, is that they believed in also with a God with a capital G. So doing this pilgrimage and making these sacrifices would let people know who they were. Now with this scene in mind, let's do one more thing, which is to reflect on what the temple represented. And for the Jews, it, rec it represented everything. It was the most sacred of sacred. The temple was very hierarchical, High priests presided, and only those men were allowed into the innermost sanctuary of the temple, considered to be the very most sacred spot, called the inner sanctum. 
And as one moved beyond the gate, there was an outer court where the Gentiles were allowed to go. But they could go no further. There was a court of women where, of course, Jewish women could gather. And it was in the middle court. So you had the Gentiles here, the court of women here, and then the men beyond. And then way beyond were the high priest. I think that instead of calling it the court of Gentiles and the court of men, we should just accurately call it the court of Jewish men. Because Gentiles, male or female, they could only get so far. Okay, our suitcases are packed. We know it was a really big deal to make that pilgrimage to the temple. We know it was crowded. We would have seen folks from all parts of life, all ways of life. We know it was busy and a bit chaotic with a lot of deal making. Some of the money changers were crooked. So they charged poor people more money. Some of the vendors were crooked. So we might assume they charged more for a pigeon than a lamb to the person they didn't really want to give what they wanted to. They were taking advantage of the poor who were already giving all they had to make this purchase. And I make this assumption, friends, not based on something I just came up with, but rather what we read in Mark and Luke. In Mark 12, 40 and Luke 20, 47, Jesus accuses the temple authorities of thieving and he named poor widows as their victims. Going on to provide in Mark 12, 42 and Luke 21, 2, dove sellers were selling doves that were sacrificed by the poor who could not afford a grander sacrifice and specifically taking advantage of women. See, friends, women were the most vulnerable citizens of the ancient community, and widows even more so. That's why we hear so many stories in Scripture with the directive to take care of the children and the widows. It doesn't really literally mean widows. It means the most vulnerable people in your society. That's who we're supposed to care for. And don't we know a lot of groups now that would fall in the category of widow, vulnerable, lonely, pushed to the side, irrelevant. Finally, to bring this scene into full focus, let's look back at the prophecy of Isaiah. Again, during this past Tuesday in our book discussion, we looked at the real importance of, of reading the New Testament stories alongside Old Testament prophecies to see as these stories were reflected on during Lent, how the prophets foretold the events of Holy Week. Last week it was a parade scene. This week the temple. Here's how Isaiah portrays the ideal temple setting. The context of Isaiah 56 tells us more. And remember, in the story of Jesus at the temple, when he's turning over the tables, he quotes from Isaiah 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. We saw that as we began our service today, did we not? See, according, friends, to Isaiah's vision, eunuchs would keep God's covenant. That's Isaiah 56, 4. And foreigners would join themselves to him. That's in verse 6. And the outcast would be gathered with his people. That's in verse 8. All right, get ready. We're ready to go, launch, and land. All right? Here we go. Jesus approaches the temple pulsing with buying and selling. The court of the Gentiles, the place designed all along for foreigners to congregate, but still being left out 
of the real place of worship. It was supposed to be for nations to seek God. And it was overrun with opportunists trying to turn a profit on the poor. And the Jewish leaders were allowing it to happen. Unchecked. Eunuchs, most scholars today believe, are relatable to the LGBT community. Because ancient eunuchs were trusted to take care of the queens. Because they could do no harm. Foreigners were being taken advantage of. And the outcast? Those folks weren't even allowed to enter the gate. And that's who Pam was reading about. I sit outside the gate. And don't we have a lot of other stories in scriptures? Jewish gatekeepers deciding who's in and who's out. So let's just bring that into context. Lest we do what a lot of other folks do and blame the Jews for everything in the world. Because there's a whole lot of Christian gatekeeping going on. And it occurs across and within every denomination, even our own. Which is why the church is becoming less and less important in our society. People are just weary of gatekeeping. And we do well to remember our own role in that. Last night, Brenda and I went to a cooking class just to do something different. It was really more about just hanging out with people. And we were sitting with this couple... And I guess it was like mid-dinner. And I don't even know how church came up or anything. Because um, a lot of times I try not to really advertise that when we're out there because then you get all these questions. Well, sure enough, it rolled around. And they said, what, what church do you pastor? So we started talking to them, this young couple, thinking about having children. And they said, we're going to come to that church because that's the kind of church we want our children raised in. But right now we don't go to church because we're tired of the hypocrisy. We're tired of the rules. We're tired of people saying who's in and who's out. I see it every day and hear it. Do you all hear from your friends? I don't want to go to church. Church has hurt me. Church has rejected me. Church is not, you know, with the poor, with the outcast. Oh, this is the scene that Jesus arrives on. And get this, friends. His response is like none found anywhere else in Scripture. Now, there are a few places where it will say Jesus was angry. But here, he does something. And it is radical, and it is risky. Think about this, friends. This is his last week on earth. And when Jesus is being very intentional about the places he goes, who he sees, the words he says, and the actions he takes. And he chooses to send a message to the religious piety and to send it loud and clear. By turning over the tables, I imagine Jesus thinking and maybe even saying, enough is enough. Of all places for gatekeeping, of all places to continue oppressing people and taking advantage of people, of all places to keep putting yourself above others and being so arrogant, it makes me sick, and I'll not have it. I've been here ministering to you all, healing, performing other miracles, teaching you that in my Father's kingdom has room for everyone. There are many mansions, and when I preach funerals, I'm about to cut loose here. When I preach funerals, that's what I say. 
I interpret that to mean that it, God is big enough for all of us. There are many rooms. It's not because we can't get along. It's because there are many rooms for many of us who find diverse ways to get to God. But here he's saying, I've taught you this. Oh, and do you recall this scripture? In Christ there are no more Jews and Gentiles. Male and female. Yeah. Slave and free. I imagine he could be saying, have you not been listening to me? I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to die. And yet, obviously, my work is not done. Because you all still don't get it. So it was in righteous anger, risking here what would happen when he turned the tables over, knowing they were already after him, giving angry actions which made a clear statement to his own Jewish community. This is not what I've taught, and I want no part of it. So as one of his last acts during his last week, he demonstrates that the whole temple and its leaders and occupants needed to be turned upside down and recall that the last shall be first. Of all places to be judgmental. Of all places to decide who's in and who's out. Who's right and who's wrong. Who's the greatest and who's less than. Doing it in church. It sure seems like even today there's some blind observers. It's my prayer we don't be counting them up. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.